Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast, the First Christian Church of St. Paul, located in Roseville, Minnesota. We are a congregation of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, united in Christ for the sake of the world. Join us for worship in person or via live stream Sundays at 11 a.m. You can learn more about us by going to FCCStPaul.org. Here's this week's sermon. Our first reading comes from the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. They are found in the back of your bulletin. Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteous and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, verse, or chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. I never much liked this parable. To be honest with you. And the reading from Amos, I really love that last verse. But the verses before it are confusing and weird. Uh, there, there's so much to say about this, about this parable, but I'm just going to start with the things that seem really strange to me and that are unpalatable to me personally. I, to be clear, I am not critiquing the gospel. I'm just telling you, it just doesn't fit nicely 
into the way that I personally like to see things. So first of all, all of them fell asleep. So we have 10 bridesmaids here. And the way that this would have been, I researched this many times and then again this week. So what, what we have here is we have, this, we have this bridegroom. And this would have been very, very, very uh, common to the original audience of this text. For there to be bridesmaids who would have lit the way in the processional, which often happened at nighttime. So what they were doing is the bridegroom comes and then they either fetch the bride and go to the bridegroom or they all go together. But either way, they need people to hold these lights. And it's a celebration. So this, all, this whole setting would have been very normal. And so we're told at the, on the outset that, that we have five wives or five wise and five foolish. And this is very, very uh, in keeping with the parables that Jesus has just told about the wise and foolish servants. And so this is, this is a, a sort of trope, a format, a framework that all of them would have been very comfortable with. And we understand. We have the wise, we have the foolish. We want to be like the wise. We want to be warned about being like the foolish. But it's confusing. Because why should they expect that the bridegroom would be late? That part's not clear to me. It's also very unclear to me uh, why they would be shopping in the middle of the night. If it's so dark. It's also, it's, it seems that they're becoming, the charge ends with uh, keep awake. Therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, but even the wise fell asleep. So I'm, there's not a whole lot of point in me telling you this part, except to say, if you read this and it feels like, well, that's kind of weird. I think, I think we're actually in good company. I think these parts of the parable would have been pretty strange to the original audience as well. I've said this before here. But A.J. Levine, a friend of mine and my former professor, she used to say, if you read something in the Gospels and it sounds, or if you read a commentary on the Gospels and it makes Jesus just sound super perfect, then uh, that's probably not the, the way the original audience would have read that. And if you read something in the Gospels and it makes Jesus sound dead wrong, well, then that's definitely not the way the original audience would have read that. And if you read something in the Gospels and it makes Jesus sound really weird, then that's probably really close to how the original audience would have understood that. So we're in good company here. This is a challenging parable to wrap our heads around. So there's some things I want to talk about before we dig in. First, where all of this is taking place. This is often called the eschatological parables or the eschatological text, meaning the, where Jesus is talking about the end of the world. It's also called uh, the Olivet or Olivetian Discourse. Because that is where they are. In the chapter before, the disciples ask Jesus a question. And then we see that Jesus answers them. And it tells us that, that Jesus is answering them in private on the Mount of Olives. And this is really important. This would have been incredibly significant to the first readers of this text. The Mount of Olives was where the Messiah was to come. Also, ascending the mount, according to Zechariah, also ascending to the mount was always a place of wisdom. It was a place where God speaks. So here, here we are receiving very important wisdom. They asked Jesus two questions. Well, Jesus told them that the temple was going to be destroyed. And so they have two big questions. Number one, when is the temple going to be destroyed? And number two, how will we know 
when you are coming back. They're starting to understand Jesus is going to leave and come back. How will we know when you're coming back? And this is one of the parables that Jesus chooses to tell in answering them. I want to tell you that the temple fell in 70, the year 70, common era. This text was written, most scholars believe, around the year 85. So readers of this text are being told Jesus predicted the the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple, which would have been apocalyptic to them. This is 15 years after that. They are living in despair. And we're met with this text. So, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five are foolish, five are wise. They all fall asleep. The wise brought extra oil. The foolish did not. So they kept their lamps burning, we're to assume. When the bridegroom arrives, the foolish find that their lamps are going out or have gone out. And they ask the wise for more oil. The wise send them shopping. They miss the processional, which was their purpose for being there. And I think that, for me, is the part that stands out the most. They missed it. Their whole reason for being there, and they miss it. I wonder a lot about the purpose of us being here. Here, today. Sunday morning, sitting in church. When Parker was small, I asked her a question. I said, why do we go to church? And Parker said, oh, that's easy. I'll tell you why we go to church. We go to church to help people. That is not the answer I would have given when I was a small boy. I would have said, we go to church so we don't go to hell. We go to church because if we don't, we're sinning. To miss church is to lose out, on, lose out on your relationship with God. It's to choose the world over God. It's to be like them. I would have said I go to church because I'm scared not to. Parker was raised differently than I was, in a different kind of church than I was. I said, what do you mean we go to church to help people? Parker said, oh, well, when it gets cold outside... People who don't have homes come into our church and they sleep there and we provide them meals. And we always raise money for people whose uh, dads or moms have been deported. We raise money for them. And we bring diapers for moms who can't afford diapers. And whenever there was that big storm in Texas, we put together care packages and sent it to the people in Texas and we go to church to help people. What is our purpose? What is our reason for being? For these bridesmaids, they were to light the way. The light that they held was their purpose. At first, being raised a poor person who thinks a lot about poor people, my first thought was like, 
I don't like the way that this sounds. It sounds like the people who had enough money to bring extra oil were the good ones and the people who didn't have enough money, but then that, that fell apart. That was just my bias because they did have the money. <laughs> they went shopping, right? And they go and buy it. It's not that. It's the, I, I, for me, it's the light. It's the light that they were supposed to preserve. They became weary and they fell asleep. But so did the wise. That part was okay. It wasn't that they got weary. It wasn't that they got drowsy. It wasn't that they needed to rest. It was that some of them had ensured that the light would be protected, that the light would be preserved. And some of them did not. When I was studying psychology at the University of Illinois, I encountered a an experiment that took place some years before uh, with a group of seminarians. And it was, it's actually, if you ever want to look it up, it's, the, it's called the Good Samaritan Study. They took this group of seminarians and they trick them. They tell them, we're going to ask you some questions in here, and then we're going to have you go across campus and you're going to speak about the Good Samaritan. Some of them, they even told them, uh, you're going to be giving a lecture on the Good Samaritan. Now, There's all kinds of different double blinds in this study, and I won't bore you with the details, but it's really fascinating what they did. Some of them, they told them they were just going to give a lecture on being a seminarian. Some of them were going to give a lecture on being a good Samaritan. Some of them, they were told they had to hurry. You only have a few minutes to get across campus. Some of them had lots of time. But all of that was just the setup. Here was the real test. On the way across campus, there was a man. A, they, they would call him a confederate. He, he was in on it, right? And this man was uh, an actor who was to be presenting as drunk. And he's kind of slumped over. And he calls out to him, slurring his speech, asking for help. Seminarians. You know how they did? Bad. They did bad. Here's what they found, though. Here's the part that was most interesting to me. Those, they, they actually had this idea that people who had this kind of religion or that kind of religion would respond differently. None of it worked. None of that is what happened. What ended up happening is the people who were, who were told that they had lots of time, about 60% of them did help. Isn't that something? About 60% of people who felt like they had some time to get where they were going helped. The people who were made to believe that they were in a hurry, only 10% of them stopped to help the man who asked for help twice. Just a researcher. I mean, it wasn't like their lives were in danger. Just a researcher telling you you have to hurry meant a 50% difference between 10 and 60%. A 50% difference on who would actually stop and help. What is our purpose? What is the reason that we're here? I really want to know more about that 10% of people who even when they were put under these constraints and even when they were, they were pushed and told that they had to hurry, they preserved their light. They didn't lose focus of what was most important. They were wise.
I wondered about telling this next story, but I'm going to tell you. When I was in Iraq, I was in Iraq for 15 months. It was a long time. And uh, over the course of that time, I flew in Black Hawk helicopters more times than I can put a number to. I can tell you that I stopped counting when I got to 100. It was just a huge part of my life over there, was flying in helicopters. And one day, I was told as I was headed out to the flight line for yet another trip, and every time I got on a helicopter, the risk went up. And every, every time that I went somewhere, where I was going was always more dangerous than the place I left. So for me, uh, for those of you who follow the Enneagram, I'm a number six. Very, very, very interested in being safe. Not easy to feel that way when you're in a war-torn country, combat zone. So I was told as I was headed out to the flight line, they said, your flight will also involve a prisoner of war who will be on the same helicopter as you. So my mind starts racing. I start thinking about what that might mean. I start thinking about, well, is it possible that our helicopter is... Uh, going to be more of a target than usual? Do other people know that? Do I need to worry about being attacked right now? Is this man safe to be on the flight with him? And while I'm thinking about all of this, I'm sitting, the the flight line is gravel, the heart, the big stones, real hard ones. And I'm sitting there next to this man who uh, was in my unit. His name is Manuel. Uh, He was a restaurant owner before he joined the army. And he really frustrated me because he was kind of slow at doing his job. He was a really nice guy, but he didn't work as fast as I did. So I was usually annoyed. I, I liked him as a person, but I was annoyed that I had to work with him. I remember that. And here come two MPs. And they're walking with a man who has a burlap sack over his head. And his wrists and his ankles are bound. And there's an MP walking on either side of him, their hand underneath his armpit. And he's barefoot, walking across the gravel. And as I looked at him, I thought about all the things that might happen to me because he's going to be in the same helicopter as me. I thought about, I was afraid of him. I thought about the danger that, he, that his presence brought real or perceived. I don't know that it actually did bring any danger of his presence, but I certainly felt more afraid because this was something I had never experienced before. Who is this person? What did he do? Uh, While I was puzzling over all of that, Manuel, my friend, who aggravated me sometimes because he didn't work as fast as I did, he was busying himself digging through his bag He brought out a pair of flip-flops. And he ran across the gravel. He told the MPs to stop. They're confused. They stopped. He has no authority to tell them that. And he knelt down in the gravel. And he slid the flip-flops on this man's bare feet. Because while I was puzzling over how to keep myself safe. Manuel saw a human being whose feet were hurt 
because he was walking barefoot across stones. And he just gave him his flip-flops. He eased his burden. I didn't have any oil for my lamp in that moment. Manuel was wise. Manuel had preserved his light. Even in a war zone, he knew who he was. He hadn't forgotten his purpose. He stayed ready. So while all ten of these bridesmaids fell asleep, only five of them preserved their light. So the charge in the last verse, keep awake. I think what he's really saying is be vigilant. Don't lose sight of who you are. Don't lose sight of what you're called to be, of who you're called to be. And who is it that we're called to be? What is the light that we're preserving? I'll close by bringing us back to Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May it be so.